I lost my best friend. I lost my sister. A Métis woman is strangled at her front door in the spring of 2002. It was a tough one right from the get-go. And there's a single suspect. And I said, why is this man still walking free? He was just a con man and a manipulator. I'm David Ridgen, and this is The Next Call, the case of Terry Dauphiny. Available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Flying has a climate change problem. This week, the United Nations Climate Change Conference continues in Dubai. And at that summit, where global emissions are once again at the top of the agenda, leaders, experts and others are flying in, often on private jets. Planes emit carbon, lots of it. Some people are choosing not to fly. But as people in Winnipeg told us, it's not always an easy choice. It's actually kind of a complicated feeling because on the one hand, traveling is wonderful. We love it. On the other hand, there's consequences to the environment for it. I think that one of the things that would be really great to start to see more of is clarity and a little bit more uh, transparency when it comes to booking your flights and understanding what that carbon emission impact truly is. I mean, it does weigh on me, but there's so much about travel that's exciting and like authentic learning that it's really tough to balance the two, I think. It's too hard for an individual to make climate crisis decisions all the time, I think. I think government and corporations have to be the ones to do that. I likely will never fly internationally again because I think we need to be aware of our carbon footprint. When my grandchildren talk to me and say, what did you do for climate change? How am I going to answer that? If you are still going to fly, and let's be honest, many, many people are, there's potentially some hope to make it a greener experience. Last week, the first ever commercial flight using 100% sustainable fuels crossed the Atlantic. This fuel in this flight was made from waste fats and plant sugars. And the hope is that sustainable aviation fuels will be the future of flying. The Canadian businessman John Risley is a partner in World Energy, which is the first producer of sustainable aviation fuel at a commercial scale in the world. He's in Halifax. John, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Matt. What is your fuel, the sustainable fuel made out of? Um, Exactly what you described. It's from waste oils, fats, and and greases, um, and vegetable oils. um, And it produces a product that reduces the emissions footprint of conventional jet fuel by about 80%. Help me understand this, because I think to some people that sounds like something out of a science fiction novel. You take grease and used cooking oil, you don't put it uh, somewhere else, you put it in the plane to make it fly. How exactly does that work? Well, it goes through. <laughs> it goes. Uh, don't ask me a science-based question. <laughs> um, but it it uh, it goes through a, ref- a refining process, and uh, the molecule is is essentially exactly uh, the same, uh, ch- chemically correct, if you like. So it it burns exactly as conventional jet fuel does, except with, as I say, an emissions footprint that is eighty uh, percent less than than conventional fossil fuel. It's also a lot more expensive than traditional jet fuel, right? It is, yes. How much more? Therein therein lies a problem. About about $2.50 a gallon. And so what what does that mean? I mean, put that into, if, for example, people are are paying for uh, jet fuel as part of a plane ticket, for example, what would that mean? Yeah, so if you were to take a flight from, from, uh, let's say, New York to London, heavily traveled route, uh, and... uh, um, 
and to apportion, if you like, the cost of one seat um, flying on jet fuel, it would be it would be about two hundred uh, U.S. dollars. So not material when you think about you know a business class seat probably costing seven or eight thousand dollars. But that's 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 an additional cost. The two hundred dollars would be that. That's right, Incre- yeah. an incremental cost. That's the cost of flying that one seat on uh, on synthetic fuel. You've bet big on this. Your company is looking to quintuple its production of sustainable aviation fuel. Why are you doing that? Yeah, we uh, we were too early uh, when when uh, it didn't pay to be green. And I'm not saying it. Uh, people talk about being green now; they just don't want to pay for it. But but I think the world is coming around to the consequence of climate change and people understanding there's a cost associated with with going green, if you like. And you can pay me now or you can pay me later. The paying later is, 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 is the economic consequences of increasing climate change, whether those be extreme weather events or gradual increases in temperature. They all have consequences for which society is going to pay. And uh, uh, so if we're serious about climate change, these are the kinds of things we've got to do. You see a real business opportunity here as well. We do. How big do you think this could be? I mean, in, in your, in, and we'll, we'll hear more about whether that's realistic from other perspectives in a moment, but for, for your perspective, how, how big do you think this could be, this industry? Well, um, the, uh, the global jet fuel market is about 110 billion gallons. So if you think about that and multiply that by the cost per gallon of, of fuel at the moment, which is, you know, depending upon where you are in the world between five and ten dollars you can see you've got a huge market our our uh, expanded refinery in los angeles um, which is undergoing that, that that increase in capacity now as you say will be producing about 350 million gallons so so uh, less than one percent of the world's consumption of jet fuel, and there are other companies that are uh, that are also building refineries to do exactly what we're doing. So you will see over the course of the next couple of years more product come on the market, um, but it's still going to be relatively small given the uh, given the, the huge size of the market. Is there enough leftover cooking oil and grease to help fuel planes? I mean, the assumption is that you're going to have to grow things to help create that sustainable fuel, right? Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, I mean, the economics here depend on on this product being a waste product. Um, and that's a great question you asked, Matt. And so is this a perfect solution? No, it's not, because there's not enough feedstock to replace 110 billion gallons of conventional jet fuel. But technology is going to play a role here. And there will be new methods by which we create a sustainable aviation fuel. Um, this is just happens to be the first one that's commercially attractive. And it'll reach a, a, a point, and I don't know what that point is, but probably in the vicinity of 5 or 10%. But technology will march on and will find new ways. Um, I'm not uh, to, to make a sustainable jet fuel that will con- that will ultimately help us decarbonize. Just the market needs to understand it costs more and somebody has to pay. The International Civil Aviation, Aviation Organization sets a target of being carbon neutral by 2050. Do you think that that is possible? No. 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 It's just too hard. We have to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars. It took us, Matt, four years to get our expansion in, in Los Angeles uh, permitted. Now, we are building an environmentally responsible plant and trying to do the right thing, and it takes four years to get permitted. So my point is to do what, what, 
what people want, i.e. decarbonize mm-hmm. by 2050, requires the spending of trillions of dollars. L- look around us, how, how, how difficult it is to spend that sort of money. Nobody wants these projects in their backyard. The federal government uh, announced, what, $350 million toward making the aerospace industry more sustainable. This, this announcement came earlier this summer. Is that anywhere, in your context, is that anywhere near enough? No, but it's the first step. I mean, these things are going to start with baby steps. You're not going to solve a 110 billion gallon problem, you know, by trying to figure out how to produce 110 billion gallons right away. You start off by saying, okay, let's produce 100 million, let's produce 500 million, let's produce a billion, and so on. That's how markets develop. I had a conversation last week with the head of the International Energy Agency, and he said that if we want to hold to the target of global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius, you need to stop flying. Is he wrong? Well, flying is only 2% of global emissions, so by definition... People say it's, closer, nothing... people say it's closer to 4%. Well, okay. So let's say it's somewhere between 2 and 4%. It's still only... T- I mean, steel is 7%. percent we Are going to stop making steel? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's practical to say we need to stop flying. We need to think about the cost of flying sustainably. That's the point. And, and if you look at, uh, at everything that's c- contributing to uh, the emissions footprint... Um, we need to we need to focus on everything, not not just sort of say, okay, we're going to stop making steel, or we're going to stop flying, or we're going to stop this or stop that. That's those, those aren't those aren't realistic uh, goals or objectives. Society's not going to buy into mm. that. There are people who would say that steel is much more necessary than flying. That you could take high speed trains, you could have video conferences, what have you. And there's this whole idea. I mean, that I think there's even a term for it: that fliegscam, this idea of of flight guilt. Um, where people feel bad about flying. We've reached you, as it turns out, at an airport right now. Do you feel any any guilt about flying? No, I'm going to cop. I mean, why am I going to cop? <laughs> there's there's, some, there's some, cop? some irony in that. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I mean, the point is, you know, the world needs to come together on this issue. The climate is a global problem, Matt. It's not a Canadian problem or an American problem. You can't fix one country's problem in isolation of fixing the global climate problem. So you need conferences like COP where people come together and talk about solutions. And, and uh, look, just business depends on communication. Now, can you do a lot of communication virtually yes of course you can mm. but you do need to do some in person this idea that we're going to we're not going to take high speed uh, trains to asia or across the uh, or across the uh, the atlantic i mean that's you know we need to do some flying and we need to pay attention to the carbon footprint of flying just like we need to pay attention to the carbon footprint of everything we do what about that um, that flight that just went across the Atlantic on sustainable fuels? Is that something that you would do? Would you take a flight uh, on, on sustainable fuels? Yeah, totally. Fuels? To- totally. Our, uh, we've already flown aircraft across the Atlantic on our fuel. So um, aircraft are flying on our fuel um, all the time. Would you, take, um, would you take a seat in one of those aircraft? Absolutely. I have been on one of them. So, so it's not an issue. This is really interesting, John. I'm glad to talk to you about it. Safe travels and thanks for speaking with us. Not at all, Matt. My pleasure. John Risley is the owner of World Energy and a major investor in that idea of sustainable airline fuel. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, 
And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, not everybody thinks that sustainable aviation fuels are the solution for air travel's emission problem. Kate Hewitt is a policy director of the Aviation Environment Federation. She's in London, England. Kate, good morning to you. Hello there, good morning. You said that the idea that we could get somewhere closer to guilt-free flying is, in your words, a joke. Why did you use that word? Well, it related specifically to uh, some of the marketing around this this flight. Uh, So there is a legitimate kind of scientific exercise in operating a flight with 100% alternative fuel between the UK and the US, having a look at how that operates, what are the impacts on uh, non-CO2, the the kind of non-CO2 effect of that flight, because actually flying has a bigger impact on the climate than, than CO2 alone. That's okay. What's not okay is to pretend that that flight somehow represents a massive turning point in the aviation industry. That's going to mean that we don't need to worry about how much we fly or about the kind of more difficult to deliver longer term solutions uh, like like zero emission aircraft. And uh, yeah, we we have big questions still about whether these fuels, these so-called sustainable aviation fuels are meaningfully sustainable, you know. Uh, what, do you, so, what, do you, what do you make of what John Risley is doing? We can get to what other people are yeah. doing, but he's specifically focusing yeah. on waste products. He's not growing uh, crops to help create right. that sustainable fuel. He's looking at, you know, stuff out of grease traps to to, to be reused. Yeah. What, what, is is, yeah. is that a way forward? I, I, I wish it was um, because it would be great if we could kind of deal with a waste problem and also try and solve the aviation problem at the same time. But I, I think that, that there are a couple of issues with, with using waste for fuel. One we've alluded to already, it's around scalability. Um, I mean, even things like used cooking oil are, are not just sitting around. They have a, other applications in, in the economy. Um, and if we're talking about other kinds of wastes, I mean, here in the UK, the government's looking at things like... Um, just sort of household waste and trying to turn black bin bag waste rubbish into into aircraft fuel. But, you you know, we know that we need to be reducing waste. So by definition, it's not a sustainable uh, feedstock for for us to to scale up. So that's one problem. The other is around uh, what emissions reduction this, this really generates. So uh, we, we've heard this claim about uh, 70 or 80 percent um, uh, kind of life cycle emissions reduction from using the fuel. That, that's a contestable figure. When it when this fuel goes into the aircraft, it operates, as we've heard, just like kerosene. It emits as much CO2 from the tailpipe as kerosene does. So any emissions reduction comes from comes in the way that an offset uh, delivers emissions reduction. It's to do with some kind of historic growth of plants, which you then count uh, as as you, to kind of to your benefit, you kind of cash in on that historic CO2 reduction, um, uh, even even though that the, the, the biomass there is, is in a waste product. Um, and I, I, I think uh, we need to be very careful about our kind of carbon accounting here in, in the way that we've come to be very careful about claims around uh, carbon offsets more more broadly. Just, just, just to be clear, though, I mean, there is not mm-hmm. a, an advantage that you're not, you know, drawing this uh, fuel out of the ground as you would normal fossil fuels. This is fuel that yeah. is is sitting in the bottom of a deep fryer somewhere, uh, many deep fryers. Um, is there not a, an environmental advantage to that? 
Yeah, there's a it's a really strong sort of um, important principle for the environmental movement generally, and this is one of the reasons why I think as as green organisations we've kind of wavered a little bit on this idea of alternative fuels for aviation is because we must keep fossil fuels in the ground for sure. That doesn't mean that reusing some carbon that's sitting around, you know, in a in a landfill site or, as I say, has come about through some kind of historic CO2 reduction from from plant growth and putting that back into the atmosphere is going to actually reduce atmospheric um, concentrations of CO2 today, which is what we must do. Uh, so it's right that we need to uh, stop stop using fossil fuels in aircraft. It doesn't mean that this um, so-called solution is really going to get us closer to decarbonized flight. So what's the answer? Because you heard, and it's not just from John Risley, who says that, that people need to fly for business. We heard Canadians at the beginning of this conversation saying, yeah, they understand that, but they still like traveling. People are going to travel. People are flying right now. So what's 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 the yeah. answer out of that? Yeah, and there's a conflict, and we should recognize that there's a conflict here. Clearly, you know, flying brings some of us some benefits. So I think part of the answer is to try and um, keep uh, some perspective on this. The majority of people in the world don't fly, will never fly. Uh, around half of all aviation emissions are generated by a very small proportion of the world's population, around 1% of the global population. So I think for people who fly a lot, uh, it, it feels like a very normal and day-to-day -day activity and something that they would find very hard to do without. But I think it is worth just recalling, not, not everyone does it, um, and that, you know, there are other ways, of, as we've alluded to already, there are other ways of doing business, at least some of the time. There are other ways of going on holiday. And, you know, I was thinking this morning back to, there's a kind of old definition of sustainability, which is around meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And I, I think there's a really interesting uh, and important question for us as, as individuals and as societies about how do we meet our needs uh, while actually cutting back on flying? Because that has to be part of the answer. That, that I, I'm not saying everyone's going to stop flying, clearly they're not. So we do need some technological, sorry, some technological solutions. I just don't think that a waste-based fuel uh, is that represents that solution. What should the average, and again, to your point, not everybody is flying, but for people who mm -hmm. are, what should yeah. they be thinking about? I mean, again, I spoke with the head of the IEA. He said, fly less mm -hmm. or don't fly at all. The reality is that yeah. there are people who want to travel that, to John's point, you can't take the train. We're in, in Canada to get to England. You can't take the train to get to Asia. No, so no, so what, mean, how true. should people work that calculus out, do you think? <laughs> well, it's a difficult question, but we need to have some honest kind of conversation yeah. about it. And I think one of your interviews at the start said something that really chimed with me, that actually people need to have better information about what is the CO2 impact of a flight. So, for example, flying from uh, London to Vancouver, return... Uh, generates probably more emissions than most of us, at least here in the UK, would generate from any other uh, activity for the, for the rest of the year. So we're talking about behaviour changes. We're we're being urged by uh, some people to eat less meat. If you give up meat for a year, you would put uh, the, the equivalent amount of CO two back into the atmosphere with one long haul flight. So it's a it's a, in terms of an individual impact. Uh, it, it's, it can be very high. So it, it's worth people just, um, I suppose, having having more accurate information about that. I think that just telling people, oh, we've got this new fuel, uh, it's sustainable fuel, and this is a future of aviation, that takes us a step backwards in terms of the public un understanding of this issue. And, you know, may, maybe 
once, uh, if we can have some more open and honest debate about this, then we can get closer to policy solutions that people will accept and that and that politicians will have confidence to implement. They're trying to just assuage the guilt doesn't really do much of anything, is your point? Well, it helps the aviation industry to continue growing, which mm. is what they would like to do. But look, they're, they're decades away where they need to be on this issue. That's the problem. We have to start cutting emissions right now. And, you know, as we as we heard in your last interview, just baby steps towards uh, something more sustainable, that does, that's not going to cut it in terms of what we need to be doing for a safe climate. Kate, thank you very much. Thank you. Kate Hewitt, Policy Director of the Aviation Environment Federation. She was in London. Your thoughts on this. Would you fly less? Will you fly less given the environmental costs of that? Do you think that what someone like John Risley is doing and taking, as he admits, those baby steps towards a more sustainable flying future is the thing that we need to embrace to look at the technological solutions to this? You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.